When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey there, I'm Grant Wall. Welcome to the Planet Football Podcast. This is our Women's World Cup Podcast with me and Sports Illustrated's Lakin Littman. We'll be publishing podcast episodes after every U.S. game during the tournament. I'll also be interviewing Donald Wine of the American Outlaws, the main U.S. supporters group, about his fan experience in France. While we've got you, make sure to check out our podcast series, Throwback, on the origin stories of the U.S. Women's National Team and the FIFA Women's World Cup. That's throwback. Promise you won't regret it. Onward! Let's bring in Lakin Littman to talk about USA 2, Spain 1. Very hard game for the US, Lakin. How are you doing? I'm pretty good, Grant. How are you? I'm hot. I'm <laughs> extremely hot here in France where uh, there is a heat wave that has come in and... It was warm on the field, but actually in the press room that I'm in right now, it is even hotter. And so I'm hoping not to faint during this uh, podcast recording because I haven't hydrated too well either. <laughs> but plenty to talk about. Oh, yeah. Um, U.S. gets two penalties. Uh, v- yeah, really difficult game. Second penalty to me soft. What do you think? Oh, yeah. I mean, I thought I thought that penalty was was definitely questionable the second one but I mean looking at it in a, in a broad sense it was just survive in advance for the U.S. I mean and that's all that mattered we've been talking about the U.S. and France uh, meeting in this quarterfinal which now that they find they finally will um, you know I felt like correct me if I'm wrong but I felt like the U.S. wasn't really expecting to be tested as much as they were against Spain I mean they came out Spain came out much more tactical and physical than, um, you know, I think a lot of people thought that they were going to be. And the U.S., as you said, won thanks to two penalty kicks. I mean, the attack couldn't connect on, like, just that final pass. There were countless balls um, headed for Alex Morgan, and she just couldn't get, you know, a touch on it. Um, You know, the U.S. overcame some sloppiness, uh, mistakes by goalkeeper Alyssa Nair, one of which resulted in a goal for Spain. Um, seemed like there were also some questionable non-subs um, up until late by Jill Ellis by not playing Lindsay Horan, Carly Lloyd, Kristen Press when the attack was kind of struggling to get anything going. Um, but, you know, like there were some positives. Obviously, the U.S. is advancing to play France, and now we can officially talk about that game rather than hypothetically. (laughs) (laughs) And, um, you know, it was probably a good thing that the U.S. faced adversity, even if it was maybe unexpected or self-inflicted. And now, you know, they get to play one of the best teams in the world in France. And it's going to be, I imagine, probably one of the best games when we look back at this World Cup, playing the host nation in Paris, um, it's going to be wild. Yeah. I mean, like just talking to Megan Rapino was hilarious after this game. And I'll read her quote here. I asked her myself, I was like, so any initial thoughts on what a spectacle USA France is going to be in the quarterfinals in Paris? And she said, 
hopefully a complete spectacle, just an absolute media circus. I hope it's huge and crazy. That's what it should be. Uh, She goes on to say, uh, I hope it's just a total shit show circus. It's going to be totally awesome. This is what everybody wants. And these are the biggest games you kind of dream about as a kid. So it gave me the opportunity to quote Megan Rapinoe in the press conference with Jill Ellis. And I swore in a press conference for the first time in my entire career. So I thought that was... uh, a fun thing. Um, <laughs> Congratulations. <laughs> yeah. I, like in terms of the Spain game though, and we'll talk about USA France a little bit later. I, I mean, that was just a terrible screw up to give Spain the goal. I mean, obviously the U.S. gets the early goal again. So that's a good thing. Tobin Heath draws a penalty. Great ball from Dahl Kemper to Heath. Rapino converts it. And I'm thinking, again, it's going to be like the Sweden game where the U.S. got the early goal and was comfortable the whole way through. And then the ninth minute with out of nowhere... Nair decides to play a ball right up the middle to Sauerbrunn, who has pressure right on her back. Sauerbrunn gives it up to Ramoso, who has a nice finish. And what was amazing to me, actually, as bad a goal as that was, was five minutes later, Nair plays another ball up through the center to another player teammate under pressure. It was almost like she hadn't learned from what happened five minutes earlier. <laughs> and I, I mean... I, I will say that Nair had a couple of, of, of decent plays in this game, so I, I, I don't want to bury her, but this is the most questionable position on the field for the United States as goalkeeper, and she hasn't had much action in this tournament, and the couple times that she has been put to the test, she's not done well. So I'm thinking of the Chile game where she let the ball go past her on the goal that was determined to be offside. Now we have this situation where she was at least or more than at fault to Sauerbrunn for that goal. And that's a, that's a huge concern for me. I, I, I mean, against, I just wonder how she's going to do against better competition even. And, yeah. um, you know, I, that stood out to me in this game. Also, I think Alex Morgan was really upset after the game with the Spanish team. She thinks they targeted her coming in with an, a knock in this game. And she even called them reckless. And I think compared to the game these two teams played in January, the U.S. won one to nothing against Spain in a friendly. This was totally unexpected for the U.S., the the physical play against Spain. I think that you're right. I don't think the U.S. thought they were going to get challenged this much in this game. But don't you think if Spain knew that maybe if Alex Morgan wasn't 100%, of course they're going to target her? And, I mean, they have nothing to lose. The pressure is all in the U.S. And, I mean, of course they're going to go at her. It's, I mean, they went, at, they went at a lot of U.S. players. I mean, every time you, you looked up, you know, Julie Ertz was on the ground. Rose Lavelle was on the ground. Kelly O'Hara. I mean, everybody, um, you know, they, they were extremely physical, probably um, one of the more physical teams. I mean, it's only going to get more physical from here, I imagine, for the U.S., especially facing France than potentially England and Germany. Well, it's not that France doesn't have some physical players. I just don't know if they'll pl- that will be the dominant thing we think about. You know, when we've watched France in this tournament, when they've been on and they haven't been as good the last couple of games, they're a pretty free-flowing team. Uh, I've never thought of a Spanish team before as being kind of overly physical, but this was the first one kind of tonight. <laughs> um, and I, I'll give some credit to Spain. I think the Spain team played its best game of the tournament. I've seen every game they've had. Um, and they really did give the U.S. a, a real test tonight and probably a little hard done by on the penalty call. Um, in terms of Jill Ellis's subs, I'm, I'm at a loss here because 
um, I tweeted at one point, why no USA subs? Like, you have a game on Friday, uh, so you're only going to get three full days off. Um, and I, I'm stunned that Megan Rapino played almost all of this game. Uh, I'm surprised that uh, that Tobin Heath played almost, or did she play all of the game? I, I it's, it, it, it's, it's a little odd to me. Yeah, I mean, if you're sitting Haran because she has the yellow card, I mean Kelly O'Hara, right? Kelly O'Hara has one too. Then Megan Rapino got one earlier. It just didn't right. make sense not to put her on at least after halftime, especially when the attack was stalling. Um, Kristen Press was the one who scored against Spain earlier this year. Right. Um, and we know how she and Carly Lloyd have are able to come on usually as subs and make something happen. So that was really kind of confusing and just kind of that's what Jill Ellis does sometimes. Yeah. Um, I personally think the best U.S. starting lineup for the France game involves putting Julie Ertz as a center back in, in place of Dahlkemper, who's been fine in this tournament. Mm-hmm. I, it's not because of Abby Dahlkemper. I just think to get the best team on, U.S. team on the field, Ertz and Sauerbrunn as center backs, um, and then have three midfielders of Haran, Mewis, and Lavelle. And I, I just feel like that gets the best U.S. players on the field. Um, I think it's going to be tremendously important to have Ertz be available in this game because she wasn't for the France game in January that the U.S. lost, and it really showed. So right. wherever Ertz plays, midfield, back line, you need to have her out there. Right. And there were a few other players. I mean, I know what we're going to talk about France in a minute, but, I mean, Tobin Heath, right, and Rapino, none of them played against France. I know that Rapino didn't. Did Heath not play as well? I was yeah, looking I mean, earlier um, at their, the lineups. It didn't seem like she was yeah. – I don't think her name was on there. It, it's even – it's interesting, too, because even though Rapino had two goals tonight, two penalties, she was honest about after the game. She didn't feel like she had a good game at all mm-hmm. uh, against Spain, and I don't kept, think she did either. Yeah, she kept losing the ball. <laughs> um, but I still think – you're going to see her and he starting on the wings against France. And then I guess my question is maybe does Ellis go to the subs a little earlier in that game? Um, Just across the board. Yeah, I guess, I guess we will see. Um, So let's talk about it. Uh, USA France, there's the game itself. There's the spectacle aspect. It's going to be the two favorites to win this world cup uh, going against each other in the quarterfinals. Um, in Paris, sold-out stadium, lots of fans for both teams. Uh, it's a heavyweight bout that, unfortunately, is happening a little in front of the final. I think whoever wins this is going to win the final. Um, but what are you most excited about with all of this? I'm excited to see, I mean, especially after watching France against Brazil yesterday. I mean, that, first of all, the goal that Amadine Henri had to, to win it. I mean, the way that she and uh, Kadi, I cannot, I'm sorry, <laughs> Diani, um, yeah. um, down down Crystal Dunn's side, that's going to be an interesting matchup, I think, um, just given how she's struggled a little bit and we don't really know um, who would come in, I guess, behind behind her. Um, and then And then also just defensively, that save, which I thought was so far the play of this whole World Cup yesterday, mm-hmm. that Mbak 
had yesterday that would have had, I mean, France may have lost had she not just slid in behind uh, her goalkeeper to to make that save. And given how the U.S. attack performed today, they're going to have to be much better against a more veteran, experienced uh, back line that France has. So yeah, I just feel I think like the U.S. needs to be sharper in several yeah. areas over the Spain game, um, including just how what they do in the final third in terms of, you know, I, they didn't really have many shots today on frame uh, that the Spanish goalkeeper had to save. Um, and so it's not just about creating chances. It's about doing something at the end of them. And I do think the French are going to target Crystal Dunn. Now, one thing that I keep... Be- seeing is she's so narrow like so often what we're seeing is teams getting the ball down her side but keeping it wide and being able to hit these sort of uncontested crosses Mm -hmm. and I know Ellis wants Crystal Dunn to get forward into the attack but the narrow part of it is what is a little concerning I think Uh, just because France is loaded in so many positions including at the wing um, I just think it's going to be a a transition filled game a back and forth game I don't know how much we're going to see of this ball being in the midfield because both these teams want to go the second they get it right. and I really do hope we get a good game that's uh, settled on the field and not so much by uh, anything VAR related but uh, I can't wait I think it's going to be really exciting yeah um, I mean, this is what we've all been waiting for ever since before the World Cup began, we've just been assuming this is going to happen, and now it finally is. So I do hope that this game lives up to all of our expectations. A couple other things on the tournament here. Marta, Sam Kerr out of the tournament, uh, two of the, the world's biggest women stars. Um, Marta, uh, very emotional afterward in what she said, which I just think she's a total rock star, but what she said about uh, basically addressing her country of Brazil and how she thinks the their sport needs to be valued and that she's going to be walking out that door soon and they need to, to replenish. And she even took some shots at her, the younger players on her current team, just not, she doesn't think they, they work hard enough basically is what it came across. Um, what was your sense of Marta's post-game things that she said? Yeah, I love that. I think you have to have players like that on your team who are willing to call out players. I mean, I think, in a sense, the U.S. has had that kind of with maybe Abby Wambach as, as someone like that, but not even to the extent of someone being so emotional after being knocked out of, of a World Cup. I mean, we've talked so much about countries and federations investing in their teams and you have the one of the arguably the greatest women's soccer player ever a legend who has scored more world cup goals than any man or woman calling players out how can you not answer that call otherwise i mean what's going to happen to brazil who i mean as long as she's been playing has been somewhat of a of a women's soccer power globally but once she's done once Formiga is officially retired for good and Cristiani is not playing anymore it's going to be interesting to see what if if these younger players rise up and answer you know March's challenge but I think that she can only be respected for the things that she said after the game yesterday yeah uh, she did say that she is 
thinking of playing in the Olympics next year. Didn't say anything about the next World Cup. She would be 37 years old. So there was a real chance that uh, probably the greatest women's player we've ever seen is, is, is finished playing in the World Cup. And uh, I just have so much admiration for what she's done over the years. And um and think it's crazy that she's never won a major trophy with Brazil, but mm-hmm. I don't think that's Marta's fault. So, no. um, moving on, uh, one thing we talked about before was for this round of 16 and all eight of the matchups, we had a European team facing a non-European team and we're recording this right after the U S has beaten Spain and during the Sweden Canada game. So, yeah, we still have games to go, but, uh, is it your sense that, uh, Europe seems to be uh, prevailing so far. Oh, yeah. I mean, isn't it possible that the U.S. could be the only non-European team to advance past this? Potentially. Yeah. I mean, that's crazy. And, I mean, I think it shows it's clear that just the, some of these European countries are, you know, reaping the benefits of more investment from their federations. Obviously, everybody's got a long way to go. Everyone's got, you know, their own issues that are, um, you know, equal pay and and fairer treatment etc cetera, etc cetera. but i mean you have italy benefiting from a, you know a full-time league and a coach who knows its players i mean leon and and psg have created more growth than in, in france i mean germany's players are playing i believe at least their biggest stars are all playing in in uh home or homegrown leagues and german leagues and then you look around the world at other countries that we've talked about at least in the group stage like Nigeria, Cameroon, Argentina, Chile, Jamaica, all these teams that, you know, are fighting with their federations. And obviously we know the U.S. is fighting with its own federation, too. But um, I mean, it's it's a is it a good look to have this many European teams? I just think that um, hopefully it's something that all these other nations can continue to aspire to be one day, hopefully soon. Yeah, I also think we're in Europe and traditionally uh european teams do well on their home continent and it's tougher for teams from outside europe when that's the case but um we'll see how it shakes out if there's another non-european team to join the u.s in the quarterfinals but uh really looking forward to the u.s france game it'll be friday in the quarterfinals in paris lake and Littman. always great talking to you thanks grant hope you uh cool down a little bit <laughs> i do too thank you <laughs> Big thanks to Lake and Littman. Next up is my interview with Donald Wine of the American Outlaws Supporters Group. Let's bring in Donald Wine. He is with the American Outlaws, the big supporters group for the U.S. soccer teams, men's and women's. He's here in France. Donald, how are you? I'm doing good, Grant. How's it going for you? I'm doing well. Uh, halfway through the World Cup, getting fired up for the knockout rounds here, and I have been wanting to talk to you for a podcast for a while, and this seemed like a really good time to do it. Now, fill me in a little bit on what you do with the American Outlaws. Well, I am on the national committee of the Nat- of the American Outlaws. I help coordinate all of our uh, chapters, or over 200 chapters and still growing to this day. And I work with a lot of the in-stadium coordination. That's the, you know, for, for those of you, if you want to dumb it down, if you're watching TV and you see the American Outlaws in the, in the end zone going nuts and crazy, uh, I'm the one that helps coordinate all of that uh, on game days for both the men and the women. And then all the women's national team events uh, surrounding women's national team matches, uh, I'm usually the point person 
uh, for organizing all of that. So uh, naturally, I'm here in France uh, as long. I'm going to be here the whole month. So uh, I, I'm really hoping to see the women lift their fourth trophy on July 7th. So how do you get involved in American Outlaws? Uh, just show up. I mean, you know, I started, I helped start the DC chapter. Uh, the DC chapter turns 10 this year. Uh, so that's a tremendous accomplishment. And, you know, just being involved, it just requires, you know, filing out and saying, hey, I can help. Um, and really with the American Outlaws, that's how this has been growing, is that people have stepped up and said, hey, what you need help here, you need help there. Um, I'd like to start a chapter. I'd like to get uh, some, some people rolling in my town. Uh, and that's how we've gotten to be uh, so successful at what we do. And it's because of all of the, you know, thousands of people who, you know, who are in the American Outlaws who trust them uh, and, and really want to be a part of something bigger than themselves. Uh, and I think that is why we have been so successful and why we're hopefully going to continue to be that way down the road. You mentioned the number of chapters. How many members do you guys have now? We have over 25,000 members, and the two of the chapters that we have, uh, one is in Mexico City and the other is in London. So we are now in three countries, <laughs> and we're actually getting a lot of people uh, because of this World Cup here in Europe who are interested in starting chapters in their cities around here in this continent. Oh, cool. Um, so fill me in a little bit on your experience so far in France. Uh, I, it, it's more than just going to the games, right? Absolutely. It's been a whirlwind. I mean, it, I've been here two weeks already, and I feel like I've been here for like a year. It's, it's been a lot of, you know, a lot of activities that we've been doing. We've had a lot of people here. We've thrown a lot of events, uh, and really, the you know, one of the most rewarding things we got to do was visit uh, the Normandy American Cemetery uh, one day and lay a wreath at the memorial there uh, on behalf of our organization. And so that was a really humbling experience. But you know, we've had a lot of great, great nights here uh, in Paris. We're, we're based out of here until through the quarterfinal, and then we head to Lyon uh, for the semis and the finals. So we're really getting to know our city here, and you know the people here have been fantastic. We've really branched out and, and made some inroads. We've played a couple of fan friendlies. Mm -hmm. uh, we played one yesterday against the French supporters. I won't tell you how that went. I'll say <laughs> we, we won the second half. Uh, <laughs> but uh, it's been a lot of fun here, and, uh, and everyone has been having a great time. Nice. Um, and in terms of sort of, I, I ran into some folks, I, I know there's always going to be high points and low points during a month long journey. Now mm -hmm. we're recording this the day before the USA Spain game. Um, and the last US game was in Louvre uh, in Normandy. Um, you mentioned the very cool thing about going to uh, Omaha Beach and the memorial there. Now, I did run into quite a few Americans after that game who had to deal with some fairly nightmarish uh, sort of post-game uh, travel situation uh, stuff uh, mm -hmm. in terms of not being able to get where they needed to go, not having taxis, buses, et cetera. Did you have any issues like that? We didn't. We uh, So for our travel package, we had a bus uh, that was – contracted to take us to Par for, uh, to and from Paris uh, to mm. all the games. So we were uh, we were fortunate there. I know there was a lot of people who had issues with taxis. Um, I had a few friend, uh, good friends of mine that, uh, you know, had their car broken into and a lot of their stuff stolen, uh, which is really unfortunate. And really, it the a lot of people have been um, disappointed at the lack of trains that have been going to and from these cities for the for the matches, mm -hmm. uh, especially with some of the late starts, um, adding trains at the end of the games would have been 
something that would probably have made sense. Uh, but I think people are recognizing there are always going to be some logistical issues. We've had traffic issues. We've had uh, some logistical issues on our end that are minor in, in comparison to what some are going through. Uh, but I think people are dealing with it and, and hopefully it's it's not deterring them from having a great time while they're here. Yeah. Um, how many World Cups have you gone to? This is my third World Cup. I, I went to Brazil 2014 and then I went to Canada in 2015. Now I'm here. Okay. And how does this World Cup experience sort of compare and contrast so far with those? That's a good question. I think the the people who are into the games here are really into the games. I mean, if you find a bar that's, that's showing the game, everyone who wants to watch the soccer is right there. And uh, I think when it comes to France, I, this is the first time I've been here for the whole tournament. Mm -hmm. And so it it's kind of a, a different in the sense that it's not a vacation. I feel like I'm like I'm doing work while I'm here just so I don't um, you know lose a month worth of, of, of stuff. Um, while I'm while I'm here, but it, it's one of those things where France has been so wonderful in the t with the people. They they've been really really open to me and warm. We've been to some great places and we've stumbled upon some neighborhood things. And I'm kind of taking it as I'm I'm a Parisian for a month or at least for for a couple of weeks. And mm -hmm. uh, whereas in the other ones I was I felt like I was on vacation and I was there to support the team and watch the games. But here it feels like more of a business trip because the stakes are higher, the teams are better. And I feel like living in a neighborhood in the, in the middle of Paris, I feel like I'm trying to be a part of that and, and incorporate that into my experience. Am, am I right in thinking that when the American Outlaws first started, you know, bef like you know, before the sort of skyrocketing growth, mm -hmm. that it maybe took a little while for there to be a sizable group at women's national team games, and yet now we're in a situation where there appear to be a lot of American outlaws in, in recent years at women's national team games. I, am I accurate or no? Yeah, no, that's accurate. I think when you start, uh, when we started, it was majority for the men, but we found out very quickly that a lot of us were like, hey, we're all watching all of soccer, and that includes the women's game too, so why don't we just meet for the women's games? And, and I think round 2011 is where you kind of saw that start to blossom. Um, uh, Abby Wambach's goal in the quarterfinal, uh, the header against Brazil, that was a poignant moment in our history because I feel like a lot of people who didn't know much about the women at that point got turned on to the women and said, hey, they play a great brand of soccer too and I want to be a part of it. And, you know, you kind of see the evolution even today with the youth. We didn't do a lot of youth games back in the day. It was just outside of our bandwidth, but now – we're, we're, you know, tweeting about the U20 World Cup. We have people who went to the U20 World Cup, the U17s. Uh, you know, people are watching at 3, 4 in the morning when it's on in the other side of the world. So we have that evolution, and I think it's great that we have so many people here. Uh, I mean, that Paris game here, there was, you know, it felt like it felt like an American stadium. It was, it was our stadium, and I think that evolution and the growth of the popularity of the women's game, not just within our organization – but elsewhere has really made this fun. I don't want to jinx anything, but you know, people are kind of looking toward that quarterfinal, uh, the potential quarterfinal matchup of the U.S. and France in Paris. And I'm kind of curious. Yeah, you mentioned how like there's so many Americans in that stadium for the Chile game, and there were. How do you think if that game happens, the crowd would break down in terms of numbers of France fans and numbers of USA fans? That's a great question. I feel like that would be the first game in this tournament 
uh, if we get there. We obviously have to get past Spain, who is no slouch of an opponent. But uh, if we got to that quarterfinal and we are playing France, I think that's the first game where we're we're not the majority uh, in the stadium. We've been lighting it up in the stadiums. We've had eight, 75, 80%, it seems like, of the crowd. But that crowd's going to be different. That's going to be where we're walking into their house. And we're going to have to try and, you know, take you know take basically their dream off the table uh but i think that's also something that a lot of us embrace we all we all have been on away trips before uh for both the men and the women we've walked in the stadiums where we're you know 200 of the only people uh rooting for the united states in a stadium in stadiums of tens of thousands so i think people are relishing that that challenge if we get to it uh, but i think a lot of people are focused on tomorrow in france uh in spain yeah um I'm curious, like, how many caps do you have? How many games have you been to of the U.S.? Uh, so, yeah, or I guess, what was it? Thursday in La Havre was my 106th uh, cap for both the men and the women. Nice. Um, I, I'm one of those guys who's a, who's an uber nerd. I have a spreadsheet <laughs> with all the games I've been to, all the, you know, where it was, how many, you know, what my record is when I see the team play, and who actually scored. So, um, I have a detailed break, uh, spreadsheet, um, but yes, I'm at around 100. I want to say it's 106. I have to update with the games that we've done since we've been here, but I'm pretty sure it's around that number. Nice. I used I have kept track in the past of how many caps I've had, and uh, I think I'm in the one upper upper 100s now. I guess if you add them both, men's and women's. But uh, I'm, I'm going to need to retire so that I can catch up. That's the only way. <laughs> but I mean, that's another thing too. I mean, I, I run into a fair amount of uh, you know fairly you know, young professionals. I guess is a term to use in the American Outlaws. Um, how expensive is all this? <laughs> Very. <laughs> Not just with the money you spend on the trips and stuff like that, but also uh, the time you take off of work and and just being away from your from your home you know i like the first thing i have to do when i get home is pay rent for a place i wasn't living in last month so, <laughs> i mean that but that's the sort of sacrifices a lot of people make i mean whether it's your first match or your 150th or whatever i mean people love what they love and you know for a lot of us we love to travel we love soccer and this combines the two so really in our minds it's it's a budget that's cut in half you don't have a travel budget you don't have a soccer budget you have a soccer travel budget and you just make it bigger and, and you just try to do the things that you want to do. Now, a lot of us would, if, if it were up to us, we'd be at every single game all the time, no matter what. We absolutely have to make choices on what we have to do. A lot of people are here uh, in France instead of the Gold Cup, which is going on. And a lot of people are going to the Gold Cup because they couldn't, they, they figured they couldn't have the means to come here to France. Uh, so, really, these tournaments are splitting our, our fan base apart, but I think it's great that, you know, People are, are packing bars back home, watching the game uh, games here. And conversely, here we you know we had 15 people the other night stay up at 4 a.m. to watch the men open the Gold Cup. So everyone's involved, everyone's excited. But really, at the end, it comes down to making those choices, what you want to do, and if you're really about coming to a game, whether it's here or you know or anywhere else in the United States, then people will find the means to do it. Yeah, um, I'm curious to know what. Of all your travel experiences over the years following the U.S. national teams, what are your favorite experiences and what are your craziest experiences? Uh, well, that's a you're asking me to choose between children, right? Um, <laughs> I think the best I, I will say the best overall trip that I had um, was 
in Brazil, but it was to it was a side trip that we took in between the games to an island called Fernando de Noronha. It is literally the most beautiful place on planet Earth. Hmm. Uh, it was right off of the coast in Natal, and we took a side trip for a couple of days to go there. And every single day, I want to go back. It was a mesmerizing experience. Three of the best five beaches are there, and we we sat on all of them and just remarked at how. If it wasn't for soccer, we wouldn't have, you know, me and my friends would not have met each other and we would not be staring at the most beautiful sights eyes could see. So that was one. The, the wildest experience is, is going to Azteca. There's no question. Everyone needs to go once. I'm, I'm hoping that there's, a, you know, this hex, uh, this is probably going to be our last hex. So uh, hopefully there is another Azteca trip in our future because everyone needs to take advantage of that. It is, there's no experience like, that big rivalry and being in in their house in that you know din of of noise that is the Azteca and really just cheering so hard for your team that you can't that you can't think and and that was that has I've been there twice um and I actually you know have been to Azteca well before that but not for games and I think that is the experience that everyone should take if you do nothing else go to Azteca and watch your U.S. national team play. Uh, it, it is an otherworldly experience. That's true. Uh, I I always say that's the bucket list uh, on there is, is USA, Mexico in the Azteca in a World Cup qualifier. The Mexicans are wonderful to, to you until you get inside the stadium. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, it's all love. Like, we, you know, we were there for a few days and everyone's all love. It's just that, you know, the day of the game, that's when that's when the heat is on you and all of a sudden you just you can feel it you're like this is the game and it feels like all of north america stops to watch it that's how engrossed you are into it when you're in that stadium yeah um well before we sign off here i really appreciate you taking the time can you tell people donald where to find you on social yeah sure uh you can find me at at blazing dw i will be uh, i've been blogging on, on various websites but also been posting a lot of pictures and, and about just the trip and also at american outlaws if you're looking for some of our events if you're here in france uh we have pre-game and uh night before events for each match uh as we move forward in this tournament so find us on there and hopefully we will see you guys out there awesome donald wine thanks so much for joining the podcast thanks grant appreciate it Thanks for listening to the Planet Football Podcast. I'd like to thank Lakin Littman and Donald Wine, as well as producer Brandon Nix and everyone at Sports Illustrated who supports this podcast. Remember, check out Throwback, my podcast series on the origins of the U.S. women's national team and the FIFA Women's World Cup. See you next time.